0: Namurta sah, poa toa, hatoa, sama, sambudha sah. Namurta sah, poa toa, hatoa, sama, sambudha sah. Thought it could be useful to spend some time this evening contemplating together the way in which we um, meet or deal with the feelings of obstruction in practice, and when we feel we come up against something that um, we don't know how to handle some things occur in practice so I know what that is and we just do what we do and we move on through it we've looked at it we've examined it before we've studied it and it doesn't obstruct us and yet there are of course other times where we do feel very obstructed and whether it's in our inner uh, meditation practice contemplation or in daily life Practice and uh, applying the understanding we have of Dhamma in daily life. I'm sure all of us have this experience from time to time, of feeling limited or obstructed. And so, how do we deal with that? How do we meet that? Well, there's um, there's one very well known um, teaching that the Buddha gave, referred to as uh, the five themes for regular reflection, recollection, and and for those is the Buddha says for those who are intent on higher consciousness, the Buddha was clearly from his own experience and observation very aware of the kind of obstructions that people face, and men, women, young, old, it's it's all of us when we. Embark on the spiritual journey. Are going to come across these experiences, and so I we're fortunate uh, that the Buddha gave us these teachings. And so I thought we could uh, perhaps reflect a little bit on this this evening, and then hopefully you can uh, take this contemplation away and apply it to your own your own practice. Um, so this. This discourse teaching, this discourse the Buddha gave and the five themes for regular recollection, regular reflection, is identifying these skills that that are worth cultivating. Hmm? Now sometimes um, we approach practices as, as like as a technique. We find something that works and then we hang on to it and then we just keep doing it, doing it, doing it. Hmm? But uh, the Buddha was aware that this this is not... Uh, this is always... This doesn't apply. You know, this doesn't apply to reality. Reality is much more complicated than that. Mara is much more devious than that. So we need a whole set of skills. And so it also depends on the intensity of the distraction. You know, some things come along, they're fairly mediocre and low-key, and they don't require a lot of attention. Before we see through them, we let go and we move on. Other things, they just seem to get stuck there. and Just keep coming back, keep coming back. So we have this encouragement to become aware of and develop these different skills. And uh, one of them, the first one the Buddha referred to, as he pointed out, that uh, one of the first approaches you can try when you feel obstructed is to replace this that we experience this unwholesome mind state or feeling with something wholesome. Consciously choose to engage in something wholesome. So, for instance, if you're you're busy meditating, have a nice peaceful time, and then some old painful memory comes up from years ago, like way, way back, and something you thought was completely done with, and, and there it is, and then this indignation they did this to me, they said that to me, they ignored me, they hurt me, whatever, and there's anger. What do we deal with? How do we deal with that? Well, you might just come back to the technique. You know, just come back to watching the breath, come back to the sound of science, come back to the technique. But the Buddha said we need to be more agile than that. You know? Some, for instance, maybe if this hurt feeling, this anger comes up, What's called for is to consciously dwell on something wholesome. So in this case, you know, you could develop thoughts of loving kindness. You know, think about the goodness of your life and develop gratitude and and to engage consciously, intentionally, be aware that here's this unwholesome state, obstructing and unchoosing to engage this wholesome, to see that as a skill that we apply under certain circumstances. Another um, approach the Buddha identified was was um, was contemplating the disadvantage of being caught up in this particular obstruction. So again, using the example of anger, you have caught up in anger and maybe you have an argument with somebody in the morning and then you come to sit meditation in the evening. And there it is going, around, 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 going on in your mind over and over again. And he did this, and he's a complete Wally. And I, uh, I, I should, you know, have a go at him. And your meditation is a mess. And we're caught up in obstruction. You know? And loving kindness, I can't stand loving kindness. You know, I just want the guy to go to hell. And you know, you can't thoughts of loving kindness just makes you more angry so the Buddha said you know, he understood sometimes that doesn't work so what you do is contemplate the disadvantage for you like basically the deluded personality is completely selfish and and so if we can tempt ourselves with some advantage we're going to go for it and so in this case to contemplate the, the disadvantage what we lose by being caught up in anger does being caught up in anger make me happy? am I contented am I chilled am I relaxed when I'm caught up in anger do I sleep well do I wake well full of enthusiasm for life and love of the Dhamma or do I wake up angry and miserable It's to see actually the disadvantage of being caught up in whatever the obstruction is in this case the example of anger and a third, a third approach that Buddha identified it recognized that if we just... Sometimes you just just basically starve the dist- this, uh, distraction or obstruction of energy. Don't pay attention to it. You just choose it. Don't give it any attention. Just no. Also is worth trying. And so being aware that these different approaches will apply under different circumstances and not just thinking that one technique is going to work for everything. Uh, the, uh, the fourth suggestion, the Buddha identified five on this occasion, these five ways of dealing with distracting uh, distractions in practice. And the fourth one is to, to engage the distraction with contemplation according to the reality of the distraction. So what are these thoughts of anger in terms of reality? What is this movement of mind that seems so utterly, incredibly important. You know, is it permanent? Was it always there? Is it always going to be there to, to approach it on an analytical level, to analyse, to really deconstruct the distraction? And then yet, our fifth approach the Buddha identified, which is really important, is that there are some distractions, some obstructions... That you just have to engage in damage limitation, crisis management. Don't deal with it. You know, recognise that there are some distractions that are so strong, so intense, got so much energy in them, so complex that if we turn to them, if we give them energy, we're going to get pulled into the vortex, and you know, we're going to actually get impassioned by the rage that we're feeling. And so, would recommended He gave this image. You get this image of, um, like, uh, this, some wild guy, some drunk guy who's out of, completely out of control. You just get somebody stronger to pin him down. Yeah. He talked about pushing the tongue against the roof of your mouth, clenching your teeth, pushing your tongue up against the roof of your mouth. There are some distractions when that's what you want to do. You've got to admit, oh, no, actually, I don't have the skills... To meet this right now, or the skill that I meet this degree of distraction with is damage limitation. Yeah? It takes some humility. So I can't deal with this. And to really, this is very important, we we'll delay it till later. Yeah? So this is worth holding in heart and mind these suggestions, these ideas, these images, like the. If you read them in the scriptures, you see the Buddha gave images like you know, the, the first one is using a peg, a, a one peg, a, a smaller peg to knock out a bigger peg. you know, Or the, the second one of, of um, seeing how we lose out, the, the disadvantage of being caught up in something like anger. For instance, he, the image the Buddha gave of he said it's like a man or a woman getting around with a dead animal hung, hung around their neck. Yeah, you know, that's pretty vivid image isn't it you know, getting around with a dead rabbit going rotten around your neck I mean that's pretty ugly isn't it well that's like somebody who's caught up in one of these distractions so I just want to start the contemplation this evening with this recognising that this is not just because we're so all so messed up and so limited in ability that we have so many obstructions it's always been this way Everybody who starts out on the spiritual journey feels obstructed. And there are skills that we need to develop in meeting these obstructions. And my own contemplation on these skills, whether the theme or the one word that really stands out in my mind is agility, flexibility. To approach practice with a conscious interest in agility, being flexible. I, in one of my, very, I think my first year as a monk, or second year, I remember hearing a teaching from um, one of Ajahn Chah's teachers. And he had this, this theme that he would give. He said, if the distractions, if the obstructions in meditation, if they come low, jump over them. If they come high, duck under them. And again, another useful image. You know. If we just approach everything with the same technique, the same approach, like maybe you found practicing loving kindness is, you know, deals with some difficulties in practice. A lot of us suffer from a hypercritical mind, always criticizing ourselves. I see it as a, a, a shadow effect or a side effect of the discriminative intelligence that our Education system equips us with. We're very fortunate to have this highly refined tool, this discriminative intelligence. It's it's a, it's a, a it can be a really precise and and uh, effective tool for penetrating, investigating, and arriving at understanding. But if it's imbalanced, if we have if we find identity in our discriminative intelligence, which is certainly what most of our schooling's about, you know, how clever are you? How much discriminative intelligence do you have? You know, how smart are you? <coughs> Who's top of the class? And so there's a lot of me invested in our discriminative intelligence. And so it becomes compulsive. It becomes me, who and what I am, <coughs> to the point where we can't stop it. And so... You make a little mistake, you trip up, you do something that you regret, you compromise your precepts, or you cause some hurt, and instead of learning from it and letting go and moving on, we just go on and on and on criticising ourselves. But I should have known better. Why didn't I stop myself before I said that? So if we have such a condition, <coughs> overly self-critical, or riddled with guilt if you grow up in a Judeo-Christian culture it's quite normal to feel guilty about pretty well everything and uh, you're born in sin we're to blame for everything that goes wrong and if you come to meditation with such a dysfunction and then you engage in loving kindness meditation it works it can for some people really work wow this is amazing this is beautiful. You find developing this force of of positivity, of loving kindness that really transforms some of this negative energy that we otherwise were hurting ourselves with. So then what do we do if we're not skillful, if we're not careful, if we're not agile we then just cling to the practice of loving kindness and so we're busy trying to be loving all over the place. You know, trying to love everybody, love ourselves, love the world. And, uh, well, that may work up to a certain point until somehow we come across an obstruction where it doesn't work. Well, that's where we need to be agile and ready to adjust. Yeah? And so, like with these five themes for regular recollection, to, to, uh, <clears throat> to memorise them. If something's not working, if your meditation practice is not working, come back to these five themes... And run through them and see where maybe I'm off. So, so agility—the um, teaching that I mentioned there: if it comes low, jump over it; if it comes high, duck under it. Uh, also, um, be prepared that you know when you uh, receive dhamma teachings, you know, to not always be looking for comfort. No. The the way our world is these days, perhaps more so than ever before in all human history, <coughs> where the values of the materialistic myth are dominant, basically we all believe the more stuff we have, the more happy we'll be. You know, there's a real dearth of spiritual values in the world at the moment, and there's very little encouragement to really contemplate <coughs> this lie that... Um, Sensationalism, the religion of sensationalism is putting out there, that you need more experience, you need more pleasure. The more you strive to make yourself happy, the more contented you're going to be. If we bring this distortion into our spiritual life, then we're going to basically use meditation techniques and spiritual disciplines to just try and make ourselves be happy. Well that's not what the Buddha certainly not what the Buddha pointed out. Now a certain amount of happiness is uh, is very suitable. <clears throat> helps you relax, helps you get strong, and give you some staying power for the journey. But the journey itself is the investigation of the Four Noble Truths, which, as we all know, is looking into the reality of dukkha and suffering. An investigation of suffering is our work. Yes, a modicum of of happiness, of joy and these things are very important. Um, but what we're really moving towards is the strength of heart and mind so that when suffering hits us we don't run away from it. We get interested in it. And so there's uh, spiritual teachers and spiritual teachings are not always convenient. You know, don't, In other words don't believe in the myth that we have to be happy to practice or we have to be getting our own way before we're progressing in practice. Now, the truth is that sometimes, sometimes uh, when we're really struggling, we're actually benefiting more. Now, of course, we don't want to turn this into a a masochistic uh, kind of adventure. We're kind of getting off on being miserable. That's not it. uh, But not to run away from the feeling of frustration, of limitation. In fact, when somebody was asking Ajahn Chah about his meditation technique, I forget who it was, but they'd probably been on the, the spiritual circuit and they'd been to Sri Lanka and studied the suttas and they'd been to Burma and studied Abhidhamma, and they'd been somewhere else and they'd done Vipassana and somewhere else they'd done Anapanasati. and So they were asking Ajahn Chah What is your spiritual teaching? Lumpur. What is your spiritual teaching? Do you emphasize samadhi? Do you emphasize vipassana? Do you emphasize anapanasati? Do you emphasize satipatthana? And Ajahn Chah says, My spiritual teaching is frustration. In other words, where he would see you attached to something, he would want... To point it out, which you know <laughs> is frustration. That's, and we don't always like that. Yeah? We don't, that, you know, when we're feeling frustrated, isn't it the case? Well, I know for me, it's usually the case when I'm feeling frustrated. I usually think something's going wrong. Yeah, somebody burns the gruel in the morning. I, I I'm not saying we has an opportunity to practice. I say, why well, can't that undergarik learn to do his job properly? And so I'm feeling frustrated. How many times do I have to tell you to ring the bell properly? So, Well, if we're really interested in practice, we've got to catch those moments of feeling frustrated and say, this is the journey. This is the spiritual journey. Yes, developing strength and peace and contentment, relative peace and strength and contentment of heart and mind is important, but that's just equipping us for the work. The work is when we experience limitation to recognise it, to be agile enough to see it as an opportunity to learn to study. Now, similarly, when uh, I remember a great uh, Chinese meditation master, Master Xunhua, was visiting Thailand, and I um, I was present where there was a gathering, and he gave some teaching. He was uh, he had these uh, these young American monks with him, these disciples uh, um, who were training under him, and. And they'd been to Malaysia, and they were in Thailand, and and there was this uh, gathering where Zedekiah was dedicated to teaching, and then there was a question and answer session afterwards. And and people were trying to pin him down and say, "What is your meditation technique?" Now I don't know whether it's just in Thailand or wherever. You know, people sometimes they get obsessed with techniques. Yeah. I suppose it's in this country as well. Yeah. In fact, I think it's just a deluded mind that wants some sort of strategy to set itself up for security even some spiritual strategy we can misuse as a way of propping up our deluded personality and that's a risk in spiritual practice so we need to be ready to uh, identify when it, if it appears anyway on this occasion people were asking Master Shun what is your spiritual teaching? What is your technique? And he just wouldn't answer. He just talked about something else and, and I remember then the bell went and we were going to close the meeting and go off to evening puja and and he came out he said, My my spiritual technique is to trick you. He says you know, in other words what he was referring to was we're so clever we're so clever with with manipulating Even spiritual techniques, we can fool ourselves to avoid really, really looking at our tendencies to cling. The tendencies to cling are so deeply held that we can pick up our spiritual techniques in a way whereby we're even protecting ourselves from seeing them. So we need to be agile and flexible. If we're going to practice, and not just cling to the teachings. Yeah. Um, any of you that have spent time, in, <clears throat> for instance, in our monastery in Thailand, Wat Nana chart there, are, there's these little Dhamma teachings attached, pinned to the trees in the in the forest to remind people to to be aware, to come back to the present moment. Little, little snippets of Ajahn Chah's teachings and Dhamma sayings and so on. And one of them is uh, one of them there, if I remember rightly, it says, eat little, speak little, sleep little. And this is part of the theme of of uh, forest meditation practice. You know, gotta you want to sleep, don't sleep so much. You want to eat, don't eat so much. You want to speak, don't speak so much. In other words going against these tendencies which can in fact be obstructions yeah. distractions from facing what's really here which is our tendencies to get lost in habits of clinging. So it's frustration. No. Eat little, sleep little, speak little. But if we're not careful we can we can even cling to that and it was, uh, not really there were situations where particularly the westerners we all tend to be overly idealistic about things and we get an idea of the training and we cling to the idea and we forget the spirit. We're not really applying ourselves in a flexible, agile, mindful, sensitive, embodied way. We just have this idea of eat little, speak little, sleep little. So there's this one monk there who was getting skinnier by the day and looked gaunt and miserable and Ajahn Chah was, was standing in front of him one day making this, because the guy couldn't speak Thai, and so he's making this symbol like this, you should have a bowl of sticky rice this big. You know, this guy's just got a little weeny bowl of sticky rice. He's eat little, speak little, sleep little. That's what I've got to do to get enlightened and <laughs> starving himself. And um, Ajahn Chah, very kindly and very wise, he said, no, you should eat this much, eat more. Mm. Sometimes, sometimes we need to sleep more. Yeah idealistically clinging to the idea we shouldn't sleep so much yeah, it's not always the case yeah. sleep can be a great healer yeah. Yeah. some of us cling to ideas of practice so intensely we don't know when to, when to relax when to stop asserting ourselves in practice and start yielding and sometimes that's what's called for There is a time for being assertive. There's also a time for yielding. If we're flexible, we can sense that. Uh, Not really it happens. People push themselves too hard in practice and get overly stressed and then crash. So it is sometimes the case that people should sleep more, not sleep less. Speak more. It's not always the case that speaking less is what's called for. Sometimes it is. Sometimes people embrace the spiritual journey as an avoidance of life. The complexity and intensity of relationships can be so threatening that people run away and get all spiritual and that's not going to work. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. There is a time for the greatest spiritual adepts when they need to be able to trust in somebody else and to be able to talk and, and discuss the difficulties that they're encountering and so just using this as an example even though it's true sometimes eat little, speak little, sleep little is what is called for clinging to that you know, is not the teaching what well, the Buddha gave was not a technique wasn't even a particular feeling well the Buddha said he said the Buddha said I can but point the way the Buddha gave us a way well he didn't even give us the way he says the way exists even he didn't create the way he described it as an ancient way to an ancient city which he walked the way and he found the goal and so all he did was point to the way and so this is what the Buddha gave us he gave us a way now the thing with a way, like, you know, somebody wants to go to Bolum Lake and go for a walk around the lake, say, which is the way to the lake? You say, oh, it's over there. So so then you go out on the way, the road, and then you go and sit on the road? I mean, that's not very clever, is it? <laughs> a way is not a place to cling to. It's not a place to reach. You don't reach the way and then just stop there. But the way is the journey. And so I think this can be a helpful reflection to remind us again to come back to that word agility and not clinging not even clinging to the teachings or the teachers. Somebody called me recently and were in a state of serious upset because they didn't have access to Ajin Sumato anymore. This particular person was very attached to Ajahn Sumato. still is very attached to Ajahn Sumato. And I mentioned to them, I said, well, you know, getting attached to the teacher, that's, <laughs> that's not the point. And I said, well, I still am. And I said, well, you can be, but you're going to suffer. Uh, that's not the point. Getting attached to the teacher is not the point. Getting attached to teaching places, monasteries or teachings is not the point. But to use our minds to reflect on what the Buddha offered us this way thats the goal is letting go uh-huh. so now a lot, of, a lot of religions in the world the goal is to cling to a belief system or to arrive at a particular elevated feeling and to become one with that feeling and that's not what the Buddha was pointing to the Buddha said all feelings, the most elevated, the most elevated, the most far out, amazing, incredible, refined perception needs to be let go of. If we're finding a self in any condition, you know, from the Buddha's perspective, we still haven't completed the journey. And so we contemplate this way and we're all we've all heard about the way for a long time. The, the way that in the Buddhist teaching is expressed and there's this way of, of letting go and it expresses itself in different ways. in like dhana, fundamental aspect of the way. Sila, fundamental aspect of the way. Bhavana, fundamental expression of the way. Dhana, sila, bhavana, these classic presentations of the characteristic of the way. And to study them and as we engage them, not just doing them because this makes me a good Buddhist or this is what I'm supposed to do. If you're a Buddhist, you're supposed to cultivate dhana. So I must go and be generous and I must go and give something. I must go and offer some candles to the monastery or I must go and make a donation to charity because that makes merit and that's what Buddhists do. Well, there's some point in that approach... But a more refined understanding of the Buddha's emphasis on dhana is that it helps us with letting go. Dhana is about letting go. Sila is about letting go. Pawana is about letting go. If we're suffering from the distortion, the disfigurement of self-obsession, how do we meet that? We meet that with generosity, with offerings, learning how to give, how to serve, how to let go. And then there's an opening of the heart, a relaxing of the contracted muscle of the heart that's self obsessed. It's like is like medicine. Sila. Sila is you know, if we approach Sila in the wrong way, if we allow our habits of clinging to come in, then we can just be so pure that we become boring and offensive. So, and so pleased about how pure and good we are, it just compounds our conceit. Really, if we contemplate sila and understand that this principle of integrity, this is the container. This is the pure container in which it is necessary for practice to take place. If the container is not pure, if we don't have, for instance, we don't have a sense of self respect, then what we have is self doubt, self loathing, negative self image. Sila is for letting go of negative self image. We need a self image, it's the tool we work with. But it needs to be a wholesome, positive self image. If we're cultivating Sila, it helps us, it shows us where we're creating the causes for negative self-image when, we, when I think about Selah I, I can I sometimes I remember when I was a child and um, my father used to spend a lot of his time growing the food that we ate, he had a full time job but on the weekends he would spend a lot of time in the garden and he would, he would grow the potatoes and the tomatoes and the cabbages and the lettuces and the beans and, and the fruit, we had a grapevine and a and an apple tree and a lemon tree and, a, and various other trees and, and so my father would grow all this food in the summer and I remember my mother we didn't have a freezer in those days so I remember my mother preserving the food and it was a very difficult job this is the middle of summer and hot summer days and my mother was inside in the kitchen boiling up these jars these preserving jars. She was sterilising preserving jars because all the work of growing the food and then cooking it and then putting it in the jars and then storing it in the cupboard, all of that hard work is wasted if the jar is not clean. Yeah. The jar has to be clean. And similarly, if we don't have self-respect, if we don't have integrity, if the container is not rightly prepared then all the hard work that we do, hours and hours of breaking our knees and sitting in meditation, dealing with all the stuff we have to deal with, all of that can be compromised and that's very regrettable. So that uh, understanding of the place of dhan, the understanding of the function of sila and reflecting on pawana you know, not letting our gaining ideas, our deluded personality invade our good effort and get puffed up with how spiritual we are. The Bhavana, spiritual practice, whether it's Samadhi or Vipassana, whether it's making the mind peaceful and calm or investigating, to remember the essential message, the basic underlying principle is letting go. It's not about clinging. So, yeah, you know, if we're alert to this, then the habits of the deluded personality, they don't trip us up, or at least we can catch them when they do trip us up. Even dana silapavana, the deluded personality can make a problem out of it. If you do get a little peace of meditation, then you're attached to it, and then you want more of it, and then you start going telling people about How good your meditation is. So, being careful, being alert. And then the question arises for all of us you know, when we feel limited, when we encounter obstructions, how do we meet it? How do we know the right way? Should I do more sitting meditation or should I emphasize daily life practice? Should I be cultivating more loving kindness, or should I be just patient with this this horrible feeling of of anger and resentment and bitterness? I've been practicing loving kindness and getting rid of my anger, getting rid of my anger. When in fact, we haven't really been getting rid of it. We've just been—it's like you know—you've got a boil and you put skin cream on it. <laughs> if you've got a boil, sooner or later the pus has got to come out. Yeah. Well, so it is with a lot of a lot of anger if it's pent up inside, you know, old stuff that we've carried with us. You know, sometimes loving kindness practice is not what's called for. Sometimes what's called for is a mindful, restrained, patient allowing ourselves to let that feeling of ill will and resentment come to the surface until we see it, feel how much we lose by getting caught up in it until we are able to understand it and let go and be free of it. But how do we know? How do we know the right thing to do? Should I practice more renunciation or should I be reading more philosophy? Or, uh, how do we know the right way to practice? Well, the emphasis I would suggest, as again uh, the Buddha mentioned uh, regularly, the emphasis is not on a technique, is not on a feeling, but on a way. It's this journey, and it's uh, sometimes it's referred to the cultivation of of satipanya or truth discerning awareness. Truth discerning awareness is what we do as Buddhists. Yeah. Sometimes we emphasise the cultivation of awareness, you know, really holding down sati. Yeah. Like you know, sati is its its essence is the meaning of 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 ability to remember. That's where the essence of the word sati is, it comes from the origin of the word. Yeah. And it can show up in daily life. You know, it's just basic things if we're somebody who's very forgetful. We need to work on that. You know, finding techniques, finding skills for for developing our memory, using meditation techniques, you know, counting the breath. Now sometimes meditation the tendencies you want to just sit there and let go, so oh yeah, is talking about letting go, Ajahn Samadhi he's always talking about letting go, Ajahn is always talking about letting go. I just need to let go, so you just sit there, you yeah, know I'm gonna let go. And you just space out. Airhead. That's not that's not the way. If we're really short of Sati and we're just spacing out, what we need to do is to Recognize that, and for instance, develop counting the breath every out breath from one to ten, and then one to nine, one to eight, one to seven, one to six, one to five, one to four, one to three, one to two, one to one, and then back up again. And if you can still do that and get lost in thinking, well, then you do it in a foreign language and make it more difficult. In other words, finding Skillful means that contribute to our ability to hone down these techniques, not cling to the techniques, but hone them down, develop our relationship to them. And so satipanya, truth discerning awareness, mm. is something we can you know, not sure what we're supposed to be doing go back to that list of five ways of dealing with distractions in practice, contemplate them, not just uh, applying one technique even if it has worked in the past it doesn't mean to say it's always going to work, the distractions will come in many forms and I would suggest that ultimately honing down truth discerning awareness these skills of being able to use the mind to investigate the limitations that we experience. Of course, we all feel that when we're frustrated, we're somehow failing. I mean, the values of the current materialistic society is you're supposed to be happy all of the time, and if we're not happy, we're failing. Well, that's not the way of dhamma. You know, the way of dhamma is that when we're suffering. We investigate. And how do we apply these tools, these techniques that we've learnt, so that we can ask our own questions in our own way, at our own time, our own pace, and to experience letting go for ourselves? So, thank you very much this evening for your attention. <laughs>